0: Good evening. Ah, glad you guys are here tonight. If you got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verse 11 and following. Ephesians 2, 11 and following. Uh, tonight we kind of start sort of the second part of the book of Ephesians, if you will. And... Uh, To introduce this part, we have to talk about one of the major themes of the New Testament. How major? So major that if you don't know this theme of the New Testament, it is, let me stress the word, impossible to grow in your faith beyond a certain point okay now am i saying if you don't know this theme you can't be a christian not at all the gospel is clear apart from what i'm going to talk about tonight but there are aspects of the scriptures that only become plain once you understand this overarching theme that runs all through the new testament and that theme is jew versus gentile jew versus gentile Uh, So much of the New Testament has to deal with Christianity's birth out of Judaism and the conflict that resulted because of that. Uh, Paul, most of Paul's letters are consumed with this idea. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans to a lesser extent, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, uh, thessalonians a little bit they are consumed with this point you cannot understand the book of galatians if you don't understand jew versus gentile impossible can't be done uh, you will take scriptures out of context if you don't understand this passage let me give you an example of what i mean how many of you ever heard the scripture that says where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom okay most of you probably have heard that phrase before that's from second corinthians And I have heard that phrase used to encompass everything from I can go smoke marijuana, and I'm not kidding, to I can dance in church. Now, the thing is, is dancing in church wrong? That depends upon if you're Baptist or not. But uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, there's going to be emails. I'm kidding. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But I know people who've gotten up in the middle of churches that are a little more reserved in worship, right in the middle, and started dancing. Because they're like, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I can dance. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know how you dance to, you know, organ music, but, it, you know, whatever. Uh, but that's not what that verse is about. Well, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's Freedom. Well, I can make that mean whatever I wanted to. Like the guy who said, I can go smoke marijuana because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Unfortunately, the, you know, state correctional facilities didn't see it that way. But, uh, see, when, when Paul says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about whenever the law of Moses is read, there is a veil over the heart and you are kept in the dark from the true knowledge of God. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you see how that's totally different? That's Jew versus Gentile. Has nothing to do with getting up and dancing. By the way, there's nothing wrong with dancing in church. If you're at a church that likes to dance, that's fine. If you get up in the middle of First Presbyterian and start dancing and mess them up, you're sitting against them. Uh, So if you want to dance in church, go to a church where they dance. I don't know where that is, but go. Break dance, please. I want to see it. Um, But understanding this conflict between Jew and Gentile is critical. Critical to understanding the Apostle Paul. You can't read the Gospels without understanding why the Jews were constantly questioning Jesus. You will not understand the book of Acts if you don't understand the conflict that the early Christians were having with the Jewish leaders. And so in Ephesians, we've come to that part. The book of Ephesians has gone like this. Chapter one, God's eternal purposes in the Gospel, that you were saved In Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay? Awesome. How was I saved? physically in this realm, by the gospel. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. The gospel of Jesus is how you were saved and how you learned about the salvation by grace. And so the Jew has a serious question now. Okay, so wait a minute. You're saying that God from before time chose everyone who would come in Christ to be saved from before we were even Israel. So what? what's the deal with us? I mean, do we? what's going on with Israel then? I mean, yeah, we've got to come to Christ too, but was it all for nothing? And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, here's the thing about the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, probably third, fourth biggest city in the Roman Empire, all right? You've got Rome, Athens, Corinth, Antioch, Ephesus, somewhere in there, uh, Ephesus is a huge city, and the church in Ephesus is made up probably of half Jews and half Gentiles, right? And how are they getting together, and how are they getting along? Now, you may not have recognized it, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the presentation of the gospel is the dismissal of Judaism as saving. You are saved by grace, not as a result of works, so no one can boast. Judaism is a works salvation religion. Do everything right, don't do anything that's wrong, and you'll be saved. And and Paul has just flipped that on its head saying, it's not a result of works, so no one can boast. Now, if you're a Gentile in Ephesus and they're reading Paul's letter, you're starting to go, what's up? Okay? And you're looking at the Jews going <laughs> Okay? And so now Paul is going to turn his his gaze onto the Gentiles. And what we're going to read tonight in verses 11 through 18 is Paul leveling the field. So you're not going to recognize him leveling the Jews, but he did by saying, "Hey, the saved in Christ were saved before the foundation of the earth." Hey, salvation is not a result of works, so no one can boast. And the Jew is sitting there going, so it's all Christ. Well, the Gentile may think to themselves, that's right, I'm not a Jew. I'm saved. Right you like that? Bonk. And so God, through uh, Paul, is going to turn his eyes on the Gentiles. And that's where verse 11 picks up. Now, this is going to make sense to you now when we dive into the text. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore... Remember Now, the therefore is reflecting on the gospel presentation of Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. You are saved by grace, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. All right. Let me unpack this sentence to you because there's a lot of vernacular going on. When I say vernacular, I mean the way people talked back then, okay? First thing is this. Remember, you taught Gentiles. You may have a uh, translation in the Bible that says Greeks. If you're ever reading the Bible and you see the word Greeks, it's the same thing as Gentiles. Gentiles, Greeks, same things. To the Jew, there was, you were either Jewish or you were Gentile, and that's everybody, all right? It doesn't matter if you're Asian, Indian, Roman, English. There's Jew and Gentile. Everybody else. So this is encompassing everyone. And the distinction that the Jews understood the world in, Jew and Gentile, they boil down into the category of circumcised and uncircumcised. All right? Circumcision. Circumcision is one of the main things you have to understand in order to understand Jew versus Gentile. So, I need a volunteer. I'm kidding. Uh, What benefit is there being Jew? What benefit is there in being a Jew? Paul even asked the question in Romans. In a hypothetical sense, he says, much in every way. For theirs are the promises of the forefathers. And what does he mean by that? Well, long ago, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, living in what we believe is modern day Iraq in a land called Erzman named Abraham. Abraham is called by God and says, come, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Abraham believes God. God counts it to him as righteousness and gives him a sign of circumcision. And Abraham is to go and cut the foreskin off of his penis when he's like 40 years old and then try to have a baby. Enjoy that. God's mocking Abraham's ability to have a child but that's a whole different Bible study. One that I will never, ever do. (laughs) So Abraham's descendants through the forefathers, Isaac and Jacob, become the nation of Israel. And one of the commandments given to Israel is that they are to be circumcised. Every male is to be circumcised. Specifically, I believe, on the eighth day after they're born. So every male... In Israel is circumcised and basically every man in the rest of the world isn't and so that became one of the dividing kind of ideas the circumcision we are circumcised they are not circumcised we are circumcised because of the covenant given to Abraham we know that we're God's people because we are circumcised that's the idea And so, what you see here is that division again between Jew and Gentile. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Uncircumcision, the uncircumcision was a term of derision among the Jews. What do I mean by that? I mean, it was a way they, it was a bad name they called Gentiles, okay? It was a cut down in Jewish circles. Uh, You can find this in the Bible. When David is about to face Goliath and uh, Goliath is coming out and mocking Israel, Uh, what does David say? He goes, I will go kill this uncircumcised Philistine. Uh, And he does. In one of the most disturbing Bible stories ever. Ever. When David wants to marry Saul's daughter, Saul tells David, my bridal price is 200 Philistine foreskins. (laughs) So David goes and kills 200 Philistine men and brings back 200 Philistine foreskins. Ladies, how would you like to say he gave 200 foreskins for me? I know he loves me. I'm treasured. I'm treasured. So you see that Paul is setting up this understanding of Jew versus Gentile. Circumcision versus uncircumcision. If you don't understand the sign of circumcision, don't read the book of Galatians. It will make no sense to you. OK, the book of Galatians centers itself on the idea of circumcision. So this is the this is the point of distinction between them, Jew, Gentile, people of the promise, the, the uncouth pagan circumcised by the word of God to our father, Abraham, cut off, idiot, loser, Gentile, pagan tree worshippers. I mean, that's really what's going on here. And one of the things that Paul does is make sure that the Jew does not instantly go, yeah, 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 how do you like us now? Because he says this, the circumcision is made in the flesh by hands. And what he's reminding the Jew is that circumcision is of no value. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not, Jew. It has nothing to do with that. It. it has everything to do with what I've already talked about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he turns his eyes back to the Gentile in verse 12. Verse 12, he says this, Remember, Gentile, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I cannot stress to you enough the... uh, relevance of this passage for your day and time. The first thing I want you to see this is that what Paul is saying to the Gentile is this. Remember, Gentile, that before you had Christ, you had nothing. At least the Jew had the promises of the covenants. See, a, a Jew is only going to heaven if they know Christ or have believed in faith in the promises of Christ to come if they lived before Jesus came. That's the only way they're going, by faith. But what, what Paul is saying here is this. If there's a Jew today who doesn't believe in Christ, at least they know they should be looking for a Messiah. Gentile, you know nothing. You knew nothing about the covenants Of promise and then here's the phrase that has relevance for our day having no hope and without god in the world now i can't remember exactly how many greek and roman gods there were i think it's something like 425 million right like zeus aphrodite you know all those all those people Paul knows, and in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. What Paul is saying to them is this you had gods, but none of them were worth anything. You knew nothing about God, even though you had hundreds of gods. You could have as many gods as you wanted, but you knew nothing of Him. You had no hope it is our modern american sensibilities that want to say well what about so-and-so who was born in this you know they never heard about jesus so i mean couldn't they no they couldn't that's not just because i'm a mean guy it's because that's what paul says paul has no problem drawing this line without god without hope in the world period And where does Paul get the stones to say something like that? Well, he gets it from Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 26, says this. Pay attention to these words. This is Jesus Christ. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father God No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, who knows the Father without the Son? No one. No one. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If the Son doesn't reveal God to you, you don't know him. That's not Greg Pinkner. That's not even Paul. That's Jesus. Word. I mean, if you've got an argument with this, You can argue with Jesus in the parking lot. Let me know, because I love lightning. Awesome. See, watch, come back here to verse uh, to chapter to chapter two, verse eleven, and it says, "Therefore, remember once you were cut off." You were the Gentiles, you were the uncircumcision, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, no hope. Verse 13, though, is an existential shift. This is an earthquake of Theology. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Jesus' time and in Paul's time, when the rabbis were teaching in synagogue, okay, which is the Jewish church, when rabbis were teaching in synagogue, and still to this day, Orthodox Jews, they used the phrase far off to refer to Gentiles. This is rabbi speak for the Gentiles. You who were far off, meaning not near God, don't know him, not anywhere near here. You who were far off, are brought near, and what is Paul doing in this sentence? At the same time, he's reminding the Gentiles, You are brought to Jesus, you are brought to God through Jesus. He's reminding the Jews of the same thing. Yes, they were far off, yes, they were, but now they are brought near, they are brought near by the blood of of Jesus. Verse 14 begins a series of verses, okay, in which for the next three verses, Paul will use the word peace three times, four times. Every single one of Paul's letters begins with two prayers for people, grace and peace through Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, peace. So Paul's identified the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Jew says, we are the people of Abraham. We are the ones who are the covenant people. We are the ones who are righteous because of the law of Moses. The Jew who accept Christ realizes that those things cannot save him, but we're meant to point him to Jesus. The Gentile who comes to God realizes, I am not better than the Jew because the Jew who's come to Christ is the exact same as me. And Paul is now going to identify that by using the word peace. And he does so in the most amazing system of uh, reference that you... You're just going to be amazed by this if you were here when we did the Jesus True and Better series. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, verse 14 says, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, that's a verse again that if you're not following the Jew Gentile argument, you have no idea what it means. Okay, you're a Jew. You're like, no, I'm a Gentile. This is metaphor. You're a Jew. Or actually, this is situational understanding. You're a Jew. It's the day of atonement. You've traveled to Jerusalem to give your day, your atonement for your sins. You come up to the temple mount and you bring your offering to the priest, you lay, if you're the father of the family, you lay your hands on the head of the goat or calf or even dove, depending upon what you could afford, and you confess your family's sins over this animal. The priest takes the animal into the temple, kills it, offers the blood to God, and your sins are put aside for a year. Now, you go to church, you go into the temple to go hear the synagogue preaching or to hear the word taught or whatever, and when you as a Jew goes in, there's this one place that Jews go. Now, the Jewish men go to one side and the Jewish women go to the other side. It's called the court of the women. So there's, they're inside the temple, and here's the, here's the court of the men, here's the court of the women, and they're both inside and they're worshiping God. Outside of the building... Within the temple walls, but totally outside the temple itself, is a place called the court of the Gentiles. See, the Gentiles couldn't go into the temple to worship God. Even if they were what was called proselytes people that had, had uh, converted to Judaism and said, I believe in Judaism, I, want, I believe in that God, you still could never go in and worship, ever. You had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. Uh, most scholars believe that this is the place where the Jews had set up the market for selling things that made Jesus so furious that he cleansed the temple because the only place the Jews could go, the Gentiles could go worship God is in the court of the Gentiles and the Jews had turned it into a market. There's a wall between the Gentile and the Jew and they can't get together and so what paul is saying is that this wall has been torn down the wall is gone the barrier is gone and it's gone because of jesus he has torn down the wall of hostility he's torn it down uh the dividing wall, he says. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments, see the law of Moses, expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. So the idea is that Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility by setting aside the law and the ordinances. And that's why the Holy Spirit can come to Peter in acts and say eat whatever you want to eat. The dietary law doesn't matter anymore. And Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean, and the Holy Spirit can say eat whatever you want to eat. It's all clean now. Because the law's gone. You're not justified by law anymore. You're justified by Christ. There's peace now. The Jew doesn't have to look at the Gentile and go, "Hey, uh, listen, you know what? You could go to heaven, but you like shrimp, so it's hell for you." Sorry. You like bacon? Going to hell. No. Bacon's wonderful, right? (laughs) See, that's the idea. And if you read the book of Galatians, you can see this at play. Peter was eating with Gentiles, probably meaning eating Gentile food. Peter probably had some bacon for the first time ever. And then some guys from Jerusalem came who were Jews, and Peter started going, If they see me eating bacon, they're going to think I'm not a believer. I better quit. So he quits and he won't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And so Paul, being Paul, goes up to him and says, What's up, Peter? And in the, the book of Galatians, he even right, he was clearly condemned. He calls him out because there's not this wall of hostility anymore. It's gone. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul goes all the way to say exactly that. In Christ. There is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free man. There is only Christ. And we are all in Christ. Uh, Verse 16, might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, there's the word again, and peace to those who Who were near? Gentile, you have peace with God whom you did not even know through Christ who fulfilled everything God could ever need. Jew, you have peace with God now through Christ who fulfilled the law of Moses because you couldn't. You both have peace through Christ. Now, I realize if you're a college student, And it's the year 2010, and you're all Gentiles, probably. This Bible study so far has had nothing more than a trivial value, right? Yeah, Jew, Gentile, I get it. See, here's the lesson for you. What Paul is dealing with here is people's understanding of how you are righteous, How you are good. And here's the thing how people think they're good, if you touch that and say, no, that's got nothing to do with being good, they freak out. And by freak out, I mean they killed Jesus for it. And by freak out, I mean they beat Paul a bunch for it why are christians considered arrogant to the world well because we say that jesus is the only way and we say you can't go to heaven unless you go through jesus and that uh, you can't be saved without jesus see what the real issue is is when you go to your unsafe friend and you say you can't be good enough for god you could, be, you could work as hard as you can and you will not be righteous before God. What are you saying? You're saying I'm a bad person? Uh, yes. <laughs> but I'm a bad person too. Right? And it doesn't matter if you say, but I'm a bad person too. But I'm a bad person. I mean, I'm even worse than you as a matter of fact. I'm the worstest of the bad and you're just kind of bad. Bad enough to go to hell, but not bad, really bad. I mean, hell bad, but... You need Jesus bad, but I'm worse. I'm way worse, worse. Me, bad. You, just kind of, bad, hell bad, but me worse. Very, yeah. Let's watch TV. <laughs> because when you touch somebody's system of righteousness, it causes hostility. You cannot, can not present the gospel of Jesus Christ without that conversation. Now, do I mean that tomorrow in class, when your professor gets up, you go, I'd like to say something before we begin. (laughs) Everyone in this room is a rotten, dirty sinner before God. And if you think you're good, you're just kidding yourself, hell bound losers please proceed. (laughs) Once again, if you're going to do that, please call me and let me know. I want to see that. No, that's not what I mean. But there's some sort of delusion out there. And I call it that. And what I really should call it is demonically influenced theology, but I'm trying to pull a few punches Um, that you can just share the gospel by telling people, Oh, God loves you. God just loves you. God loves you. That's you just need to know that that's the gospel except Jesus because God loves you. Well, who wouldn't want that? I mean, if that's the gospel, if all Paul did was walk around going, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, just accept Jesus because God loves you, why do you beat the tar out of anyone for that message? God loves me, (laughs) take that God lover, like you don't, you don't kill somebody for that message. If Jesus was walking around just going, man, let me tell you something, God just loves you guys so much and uh, that's it. And I'm his son here to tell you that. Kill him. That seems harsh. Uh, What did Jesus do? Jesus walked around going, you are whitewashed tombs. The outside looks good, but the inside is a dirty corpse. Your heart is a maggot-filled corpse. Let's kill that dude. Try it. You'll actually succeed for three days, but try it, right? (laughs) You don't kill somebody for a message that doesn't offend them. There is a point in the presentation of the gospel where a person's righteousness has to be shown for what the Bible calls it, dirty rags. The only way someone can come to God through Christ is to realize they need him. And the only way to realize they need him is to realize that they are lost and condemned before God. To the Jew, you use the law. You say, have you kept the 216 commandments of Moses perfectly? Well, no, but I mean, who could? Well, you got some problems. To the Gentile, you use the conscience. Are you perfect? No. What are you going to do when a perfect God calls you before him to judge you? Well, he's merciful. Yeah, to the perfect. But you just said you're not perfect. What are you going to do on judgment day? Well, I mean, God's going to be okay. Is a human judge going to let a murderer off just because they only murdered one person once? I mean, really, judge, honestly, it was just one dude one time. I've, only, I've been a lot, I am 39 years old. I killed one dude once. And you're going to throw me in jail forever? Seriously? This is wrong. I'm going to write a letter to somebody, Miley Cyrus, or somebody important. (laughs) It's ridiculous. That's what the Gentiles are going to do before God. What do you mean? Yeah, I did some wrong stuff, but you're going to let me off, right? I mean, come on, we're cool, right? Come on, God, seriously. No. God's standard is perfection. If you're not perfect, don't apply. What are you going to do on judgment day? well I don't know what are you going to do on judgment day I don't, I don't know what are you going to do on judgment day there's not going to be one evolution okay I skipped around a lot there but you followed me he came preached peace to you who were far off Gentile preached peace to you who were near Jew for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father Remember Christ's words. No one, no one, no one knows the Father except to those to whom I choose to reveal him. How do we know we know the Father? The Holy Spirit that lives within us. The Holy Spirit that lives within us reminds us constantly of who Jesus is, how righteousness is not ours, it's his, how we are established because of Christ and not our own works. All of these things are a gift of grace. You see, after the gospel presentation, the Gentile needs to be reminded, hey, the Jew needs to be reminded, the law doesn't matter. If you want to keep the law for tradition's sake, that's fine. As long as you don't think that it saves you. Hey, Gentile, here's the thing. If you don't want to have to do the law, don't. You don't have to do anything except come to Christ and follow him as your only hope. That's all you have to do. The rest of the book of Ephesians is going to play off this, all of it. And I'm going to come back over and over again and talk about this hostility between earning your righteousness and being given your righteousness. Because all of it sets up. See, when you get to Ephesians 5 and you start talking about husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You mean you want me to be crucified for her? Like die to myself for her? Yeah. Well, that's going to be hard. No, it's going to be impossible. It has to be a gift of grace. Wives. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Uh, You're going to die in the parking lot, homie. Uh, No. Through Christ, seek to see what that means. And can you do it? No. There's not a woman alive who can submit to her husband as to the Lord. It's a gift of grace. Grace. The rest of the book of Ephesians plays this out. And to not follow the tension is to miss both sides of this. It's not earned. It is given. But it requires one thing. Christ. That's it. Pray with me. Our Father, your servant Paul ends uh, this passage of Scripture by using two phrases one body and one spirit. There is no special place in heaven for Jews, there's no special dispensation, there's no special place in heaven for the Gentiles saved by Christ. There is no division between them. It is in Christ that we all are here. And Father, I pray that what we take from this is that resounding note, in Christ, in Christ, so that we remind ourselves that it was Paul's drumbeat, in Christ, in Christ, In Philippians, talking about this exact same topic, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And so, your children who hear my voice, be they Jew or Gentile, I pray the Spirit inside them would focus on this truth in Christ and let everything else fall to the wayside. It's for your glory we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.